संन्यासस्तु महाबाहो संन्यासस्तु महाबाहो दुखमाप्तुमयोगतः दुखमाप्तुमयोगतः योगयुक्तो मुनिर्ब्रह्म योगयुक्तो मुनिर्ब्रह्म नचिरेणाधिगच्छते रिनंसिएशन इज डिफिकल्ट एकाम्प्लिश विदाउट कर्म योगा Meaning thereby that karma yoga is the first step and renunciation the second step. It is not that Gita wants to present karma yoga and jnana yoga are two separate yoga, two separate paths, but presents them as one path, two stages of the same path. Karma yoga is the first stage, jnana yoga is the second stage. Here by the word sannyasa is meant the, the jnana yoga. We Presume here that sannyasa is the one 
who is dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge. <coughs> In that sense, sannyasa is equal to jnana yoga. In the third chapter also, Lord Krishna had said, Lokesmin dvidhanishtha pura prokta mayanagha jnana yogena sankhyanam karma yogena yoginam. Hey Anagha, hey Arjuna, in the beginning, through the scriptures, I have laid out these two nishtas, two commitments, two ways of life. Jnana yogena sankhyanam, those are sankhyas, sannyasis, contemplative ones, for them jnana yoga, the path of knowledge. Karma yogena yoginam, on the other hand, those who are active people, for them the path of karma yoga. <coughs> so karma yoga is the first step. Gnana Yoga is the second step in as much as, as we saw in the morning also, Chittasya Shuddhe Karma. Karma is for Chittasya Shuddhe. Karma is for the purpose of Shuddhi or purification of the mind. Vastu Siddhir Vicharena, whereas the knowledge of the truth can be only by Vichara, so this Karma Sanyasa or renunciation of action, which we have said here is the second stage of renunciation, is also called Vividisha Sanyasa or the Sanyasa renunciation taken Vividisha with a desire for knowledge. And so that Sanyasa is the one who dedicates himself to the pursuit of knowledge. So Karma Yoga first step, Gnana Yoga second step. <coughs> That's why Lord Krishna said, whichever one you take up, if you take up to Karma Yoga, then you will become a Sanyasa in due course. If you ek, if you dedicate to any one of them, depending upon your own adhikaritvam, depending upon your own yogyata or fitness, if you think that you are fit for karma yoga, for performance of action, no problem at all. As long as you perform the actions in the right way, as long as you perform the right actions and in the right way. By right actions we mean actions that are performed in keeping with the values, and right way we mean the actions performed in the spirit of offering, then these actions become means of definitely purification and they will lead to sannyasa or renunciation in due course and that will lead to knowledge and the jnana the avoidance of knowledge in due course. On the other hand, if you find that you don't need to purify your antahkaranam because you already possess vairagya dispassion, that you find that your mind is essentially free from likes and dislikes or the impulses, then it's not necessary for you to take up to karma yoga, take up to sannyasa and pursue the knowledge. However, if you take sannyasa without the preparation of karma yoga, then it is very painful in the sense that it is a very difficult situation. Because as you said, sannyasa is a life which is introvert life. It's not an active life. It's a life of essentially contemplation and essentially free from activities. However, if the mind is not contemplative, if the mind is very reactive, then that person is not able to, to perform the study of the scriptures, in which case the very purpose of having taken the sannyasa renunciation is not served. Not only that, but he is not fit now for sannyasa, nor is he fit for karma yoga because he has given up karma, and therefore he is misfit everywhere. Therefore, Sannyasa or renunciation must be taken only when there is vairagya, dispassion, not otherwise. And by vairagya mean, we mean freedom from raga as well as dvesha. <coughs> that means when one has discovered that what we call emotional maturity, when one has discovered 
the ability to manage one's likes and dislikes, that one does not come under the sway of likes and dislikes, but one is able to manage them. That is, and in this chapter also Lord Krishna says, that is Kamakarodhodhom Vegam, the Vega, or that force that arises on account of lust, anger, etc., when one is able to hold it back and not, not be swayed by that, at least that ability when one has, then one is ready for sannyasa. <coughs> and that's what Lord Krishna says in the second line, yoga in the sixth verse, yoga yukto munir brahma nachirena adhigachyati yoga yuktaha So one who is endowed with yoga, he becomes munihi. See the yoga yuktaha munihi brahma nachirena adhigachyati Yoga Yuktaha, one who is endowed with yoga. He becomes Munihi. Munihi means Mananashilaha, one who is capable of contemplation. That's called Munihi. <coughs> that means one who has discovered that leisure of the mind, one who has discovered the tranquility of the mind, one who enjoys the tranquility of the mind. <coughs> and I can say that I enjoy tranquility of mind only when the happenings around me, they do not perturb me, when they do not, when they do not disturb me. <coughs> that is also important. When happens ar- happenings around me I manage to disturb me, then we cannot say that I have acquired a tranquility of mind. When in the middle or in the midst of the various happenings also I am able to maintain a tranquility of quietude of mind. Not because I am insensitive, but because I understand that honor, dishonor, whatever keeps coming. Sometimes praise, sometimes censure, sometimes honor, sometimes dishonor, sometimes pleasure, sometimes pain. That's the way life is. And all of that is fine. There is nothing but Ishwara's prasada. All of that is gift of God. Or there is God Himself in these various forms, and therefore I take them in their stride. I don't get identified, I don't internalize, I'm objective about them. Then I'm not perturbed by them, I'm not disturbed by them. I maintain the balance or equanimity of my mind. So this is Samatvam. In the third chapter also Lord Krishna said, Samatvam Yoga Hauchade. Samatvam, the sameness of the mind, the equanimity of the mind. The tranquility or the voice of the mind is called yoga. <coughs> so yoga yuktaha, one who is endowed with yoga, that is one who is endowed with that samatvam, the sameness of the mind, that equanimity of the mind, that poise of the mind, which also is equivalent to saying that he possesses vairagya, possesses dispassion. He is essentially free from these impulses of likes and dislikes or attachments and aversions. He is called yoga yuktaha. Munihi. He becomes Munihi. Muni means Mananashilaha. Mananashilaha. Mananadi. Maishwara Swarupascha Mananat Munihi. He becomes capable of deliberating upon such things as Ishwara. Everybody has capability of deliberating upon something. Depending upon the frame of my mind. As I said, when my mind is, is riddled with likes and dislikes, then also I, ca- I contemplate upon the pleasures of life. But when my mind has become sattvic, 
then it becomes capable of contemplating upon such things as Ishvara, as a self, as God, as the cause of the creation. So these are the kind of things that one becomes capable of contemplating upon. It's called Munihi. So Ishvara Swarupasya Mananat Munihi. So one who is capable of contemplating upon the Swarupa, the nature of the Lord, nature of the self, nature of reality. <coughs> and what what is that what is meant by reality is that that which is the very like for example of these various ornaments the reality is gold and that I can contemplate upon gold only when the form and the design of the ornament is of not consequence to me. That is when the design of the ornament, form of the ornament, appearance of the ornament does not impact me. And that I am able to maintain my focus upon gold, which is the truth of the ornament. So that is possible when I am become free from the impact of these names and forms. Ornaments are many, of different forms, different shapes, etc. So when the form and shape, I can take them objectively in the stride, then I, alone I can contemplate upon gold, understand. Similarly also, the world consists of names and forms. If my preoccupation is only with name and form, then I won't be able to pay attention to or focus my attention on what is the truth of name and form. But there is something that is in all this diversity, in all the disparity, there is something that is common. As in this chapter itself, Lord Krishna will tell us, Vidyavanya Sampanne Brahmane Gavihastini. Whether there is a pious man who can be called, a, that is a pious Brahmana, or there is a cow, there is an elephant, there is a dog, there is even an outcast, whoever they are. So outwardly they are all different from each other. One is Satvik, one is Rajas, Rajas, one is Tamas. And in spite of that, one is able to perceive or one is able to appreciate that is common to all of them. So when can I contemplate upon Ishvara? When can I contemplate upon God? Or when, I can, when can I contemplate upon the truth? is when the appearance is not important to me. When standing at the seashore, I see all so many waves. When can I contemplate upon water, which is the truth of the waves, when the shape and appearance of waves is not important to me. That means, I am able to transcend that shape and form, and then alone I can appreciate the truth of the waves. So, that is what we mean by overcoming Ragadveshas. Whenever I am preoccupied with the form, there cannot be but the reactions of likes and dislikes. Because forms are different from one another and they are all different from me also. And so if form, if outer appearance is important to me, then appearance either will be something that I like or something that I dislike. And therefore appearance will create from me the reactions of likes and dislikes. I can't avoid that. But if I can see something common, something that is, that is, that unites all of them. Like a mother may have five children, let's say five sons she has. Each one is different. One is a great scholar, other may not be that big, uh, that important intelligent, somebody may be dull. One is beautiful, one not that beautiful, one is handsome. So all the five children may be of different kind. And still, so if someone only a Solomon only relates to them, only at the level of appearance, then the reaction to each one of them will be different. 
However, when one relates to them with reference to what is common to them, this is my child, my child, my son, my child, then they are all equal. In as much as they are all my children, they are all equal. And then whether one is intelligent or not intelligent or good or not good or whatever it is, I'll be able to relate to them or I'll be able to express the same love to all of them. So this is important, to be able to transcend, if you want to use the word, or to be able to become free from the effect of the appearance, the effect of the name and form. Like an actor comes as a beggar, it comes as a king also. If I relate to him as a beggar and a king, then I will react. When I see the beggar, I may have one reaction. When I see the king, I will have a different reaction. But if I appreciate that in both of them, that is the same actor, then I will have the same reaction to them. Th that means I can contemplate upon what is the truth of the actor and the beggar, I, a beggar and the king, only when I can transcend the outer appearance, outer costume, and appreciate the one that is behind the costume. So that is why we say that in order to contemplate upon the unity in the diversity, I must have essentially become free from the impact of diversity. The diversity does not perturb my mind. Diversity does not uh, create reactions in my mind of elation and depression. And then alone that unity in the diversity can become the object of my contemplation. That's the reason why so much is said about becoming free from dislikes and dislikes. When we say becoming free from likes and dislikes, means becoming free from the impact of just outer appearance, outer name and form. Just as there are many ornaments and one golds also, there are many names and forms, but then there is one truth, one Brahman or one God, that is the truth of everything. And that's the vision of the scriptures. To be able to appreciate that vision, I should be able to focus my attention to that oneness. And that requires my being free from the impact of the diversity or the disparity. And so, the need for acquiring a mind that has become free from the impact of the dvandva, impact of the pairs of opposites. <coughs> Thus, yoga yuktaha munihi bhavati, one who is endowed with yoga, endowed with samatvam, sameness of the mind. Then he becomes muni, becomes a contemplative one. That means he becomes a sannyasi, he becomes a renunciate. He is now able to uh, focus attention on the pursuit of knowledge, study of the scriptures. And then, nachirena brahmadhyachati. And that muni, this sannyasi, now who is dedicated to the study and contemplation, nachirena. In, 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 in course of time or quickly, Brahma Adhigachadi, he attains Brahma. <coughs> so, uh, these are the steps Yoga Yukta, Munihi, and Brahma. So, Brahma Adhigachadi attains Brahma and becomes the third kind of sannyasi, the Vidvat sannyasi. So, these three steps, the second line tells us Yoga Yukta, first step, Munihi, Second step, Brahma Gachari, the third step. So this is the scheme uh, of the spiritual development that Bhagavad Gita outlines here, very beautifully summarized in the second line of the sixth chapter. The very same idea is somewhat uh, developed in the seventh chapter, 
in the seventh verse, that we are told here, seventh verse says, Yoga Yukto Vishuddhatma Yoga Yukto Vishuddhatma Vijitatma Jitendriya Vijitatma Jitendriya Sarva Bhutatma Bhutatma Sarva Bhutatma Bhutatma Kurvannapina Lipyade Kurvannapina Lipyade Yoga Yukta, first step, becomes Vishuddhatma, Vijitatma, Jitendriya. So what are the qualifications of a sannyasi? So when one is committed to a life of yoga, then what happens to him? Becomes Vishuddhatma, then becomes Vijitatma, becomes Jitendriya. That means he becomes a sannyasi and then finally, Sarabhutatma Bhutatma, he becomes what we call the Vidvat Sanyasi. So Yoga Yukta one who is endowed with yoga. Yoga means, as we said, yoga ha samatvam yoga huchade, samatvam, sameness of the mind, equanimity of the mind is called yoga. Yoga Yukta. And that equanimity of the mind has come as a result of performing this karma or action in the spirit of Ishwarama Buddhi, in the spirit of offering to the Lord. He becomes Vishuddhatma. Vishuddhatma means one whose Atma or the mind is Vishuddha, is pure. So, slowly and slowly he becomes a person enjoying the purity of mind. What is meant by impurity is nothing but the the impulses of likes and dislikes are called the impurities. So all the various impulses that we have can be just reduced to this two. We have many things within ourselves. There can be anger, there can be lust, there can be greed, there can be jealousy, there can be resentment, there can be self-condemnation. All of these can be called the impurities of mind. All these impurities of the mind can be reduced to these two, attachment and aversion. Because attachment and aversion are the original things from which all the rest of things, they, as, I, as we said yesterday, attachment and aversion give rise to fear, they give rise to uh, anger, they give rise to greed, they give rise to resentment, they give rise to idea of success and failure, they give rise to the idea of self-condemnation and whatever. Because a person who is, who is riddled with likes and dislikes will judge everything in that way. So a result will be judged by him as a success or failure, and then he will react. So he first judges the result as success or failure, and then reacts. When he judges the result as success, reacts with elation. Judges it fail as failure, he reacts with depression. He judges someone as superior or inferior. When somebody judges superior to me, I react with jealousy. Inferior to me, I react with pride. I keep on judging everything with my structure of likes and dislikes. Whatever it is that I relate to will be always first of all judged by me with the framework of likes and dislikes and then I respond. I never respond to the world as it is. I always respond to the world as I perceive it. However the person is or however the situation is, 
I don't respond to them or react to them as they are, but I react to them as I perceive them. And my perception is going to be distorted on account of this framework of attachments and aversions, likes and dislikes. Therefore, I am not objective. As we say, two kinds of creation, the creation of God and creation of the individual. So, like in the dream, in the waking state also, I keep on superimposing these attachments and aversions upon the things of the world. So, yoga yukta hai, one who has become objective, one who has acquired the sameness of the mind, equanimity of the mind, that means one who has gained that objectivity, he will appreciate things without superimposing likes and dislikes, he will appreciate things as they are. So when I perform an action, result comes, it's the result, that's all. There's no need to brand that. You have to keep on branding things. Like when you go to India in, a po- in the post office, you know, when you, uh, when you give them a letter, he'll just stamp it before it proceeds further. Keep on stamping it. So when you mail a letter, he'll first stamp and then do something. Similarly also, whenever I confront anything, first of all I stamp it. I like it, don't like it. It's good, not good. Right, wrong. First of all I stamp because of my likes and dislikes and then I react. <coughs> this yogi is the one who does not stamp anything because he is able to appreciate things as they are. So this is what karma yoga helps us do. Yoga yukta Vishuddhatma. He becomes a one, Vishuddhatma, means one whose atma or the mind is Vishuddha, is pure. He becomes one of pure mind. He becomes satric. His mind becomes free from this impurity like water. So water, when it is free from impurity, becomes transparent, like a pool of water. When you remove all the dirt from that, then the water, pool of water becomes transparent. And similarly also my mind, when, when these impurities are removed, my mind also becomes transparent. And just as the water reveals the bottom when it becomes transparent, and so also my mind, when it becomes transparent, it reveals what is at the bottom, which is nothing but the self. And therefore, the ananda, the happiness of the self, automatically gets revealed. So the person enjoys what we call an inner poise, an inner cheerfulness. And therefore his dependence for happiness upon the outer, from the outer world becomes reduced. So, as, as I discover a pure inner purity, I also discover an inner joy. So as we say, the reward is immediate. Reward of Karma Yoga is immediate. To the extent that likes and dislikes go, to that extent the mind becomes pure, to that extent I discover inner joy. And I discover the inner joy, the need of chasing the joy from outside reduces. And that's how my mind becomes more and more composed. It becomes more and more centered upon itself. Vishuddhatma. So yoga yukta, Vishuddhatma. One who is endowed with yoga becomes Vishuddhatma. He enjoys a mind which is Vishuddham, which is pure. Free from impurities, free from likes and dislikes. And then what happens? Vijitatma. So what's the test of the inner purity? When we say the mind becomes pure, what happens? Vijitatma. I become the master of my mind. Vijita. Vijita means conquered. So I, I become master of my mind. 
So mind becomes agreeable to me. Mind becomes my friend. So I get a mastery over my mind. The mind, when it is under control of likes and dislikes, it is not in my control. I want the mind to do something, it does it has its own agenda. So normally mind is controlled by these likes and dislikes. As likes and dislikes reduce, slowly mind becomes composed and it comes under my, I become a master of my mind. And then this mind becomes available to me. I can do whatever I want it with it. I tell the mind, do this work, mind says, okay. I tell the mind, study, all right. Mind pray, okay, whatever I want the mind, it does because mind is under control. Meaning, I have gained a mastery over my mind. So, sattvic mind is already under control. A mind that is rajoguni, rajas means when likes and dislikes are there, it is not in my control. Because mind will be automatically directed towards the objects of likes and dislikes. Even when I want the mind to concentrate on japa, for example, Mind is so agenda, it keeps on thinking of something else. So, the fact that we, ex- we experience the distraction of the mind is because of the likes and dislikes. When likes and dislikes are not there, the distractions are not there. Mind becomes composed, mind becomes, you know, therefore, becomes what we call my friend. Mind becomes, I, I enjoy what we call the favorableness of the mind. I enjoy what we call the cheerfulness of the mind, the favorableness of the mind, my own mind becomes favorable to me. My own personality becomes favorable to me. It is said in Sanskrit, Maneva Manushyanam Karanam, or Lord Krishna says, Atmaiva Hyatmano Bandhu, Atmaiva Ripuhu Atmanaha. My own mind can be my friend, my own mind can be my enemy. So mind, which mind is my friend? Which mind is enemy? Bandhaya vishayasaktam muktye nirvishyam smritam So that mind which is riddled with vishayasakti, attachment for sense pleasures, that causes bondage. And the mind that is free from the attraction of sense pleasures, so that is conducive for liberation. <coughs> so vijitatma. So second step is that slowly and slowly I find that I become the master of my own mind. Otherwise, I'm a slave of the mind. As Swamiji gives an example, that when you come home, your dog greets you, and then dog jumps up and down and wags the tail, and when the dog is wagging a tail, it looks very beautiful. However, suppose the tail starts wagging the dog, you know, that would be very, very funny. Similarly also, as long as mind is under my control, I, I, I do whatever I want to do with my mind, it's fine. But when mind starts controlling me, and that's the situation normally, that mind controls me rather than my controlling the mind. But in Vijitatma, that mind is under my control. I'm a master of the mind. Mind is favorable to me. And that favorableness of my mind and favorableness of my personality is very important. Vijitatma. <coughs> so when the mind comes under control, what happens? Jitendriya, the sense organs also come under my control. Because sense organs, namely organs of action, organs of perception, all of them generally are directed by the mind. So mind keeps on saying the eyes to the eyes, come on look there. It says to the ear, come on hear that, what's happening there? It tells the legs, come on legs, get up, go there. It tells the palate, come on palate, taste this. 
So mind keeps on this, in fact, prompting the sense organs. When mind becomes composed, the sense organs also remain in the center, and therefore jitendriya, the indriyas, meaning sense organs of perception, sense organs of action, also become favorable to me. When we say that I become master of the mind, that means that mind becomes favorable to me. Not that mind is my slave, it becomes my friend, becomes favorable to me. The whole personality becomes favorable to me. <coughs> this is also called vairagya. This is also called inner purification. Also called a mastery over myself. So when this happens, that's the second stage, is what we call the renunciation of action. At this point, this person or seeker is now ready to renounce the actions. Because this is what the actions of Karma Yoga has to do. Karma Yoga has to do this. Inner purification, mastery over my mind, and mastery over the sense organs. When that is accomplished, then I know that I am a self-composed person. I don't need karma or the duty anymore. And then the second step is karma sannyasa, renunciation of action. <coughs> and that leads to, we take for granted here that renunciation of action becomes vidisha sannyasi, becomes sannyasi of a pursuit of knowledge. He goes to the teacher, he studies the scriptures, he gains the knowledge and gains and abides in the knowledge ultimately. He becomes what we call Vidvat Sanyasi. He becomes the, so he attains the third step. And what is the vision? That is the Vidvat, we call him Vidvat Sanyasi. Sanyasa or renunciation by virtue of knowledge. So what kind of knowledge does he have? Second line of the verse says, Sarva Bhutatma Bhutatma Kurvan Napinalipyade. Sarva Bhutatma Bhutatma, the one who knows oneself to be the self in all beings. Sarabhuta Atma. Sarabhuta all the beings. What is the Atma, the self of all the beings, is myself. So one who knows one's own self as the self of all. <coughs> the self of all is called Brahman. Brahman is the self of all. <coughs> so he discovers himself to be Brahman, to be the self of all. That means all the duality has been erased. No doubt the duality obtains at the level of body, at the level of mind, at the level of name and form the duality obtains. But he identifies not with the name and form, he identifies himself with the self and discovers that myself is the self of all. <coughs> so that's called Vidvat Sanyasi. That's the vision of the Sanyasi. <coughs> Kuruvannapi. Does he still, does he, does he do something? This Vidvat Sanyasi, the one who's attained this knowledge, one who's attained perfection, let us say. The one who's attained that goal, what does he do? Nothing remains for him to be done. Lord Krishna would call him Kruta Krutyaha. Krutam Krutyam Yenasaha Kruta Krutyaha. One who is accomplished whatever is to be accomplished in life. So whenever Westerners hear this, you know, or even Indians also, when they hear, oh, he has done everything that is to be done in their life, says, yeah, then what to do? Life becomes very boring, I mean, nothing to do. So question is, what, what do I do after I get knowledge? So one person was persistently asking Mahatma, 
What do I do after I gain the knowledge? You get married, that's all you do then, you know, what else can you do? <laughs> what do I do after I gain this knowledge? See, you'll become free from this question, that's all. Because this very question, what do I do? That shows an inner void, is it not so? The reason why there is a need for me to do something was there is a discomfort inside. There's inner discomfort, inner restlessness, and that makes me ask this question, what am I going to do? When I become free from all discomfort, Sarabhutatma, Bhutatma, when I find myself totally acceptable to me. Right now the problem is that I am not acceptable to myself, that means I am not comfortable with my own self. That's the reason why I cannot sit quietly with myself, because I am not comfortable with myself. The self that I, I know myself to be, is, is an incomplete self, inadequate self, not acceptable self. I don't like myself to be helpless, I don't like myself to be too insignificant, I don't like to see myself as a small limited being. <coughs> but here, when I realize that I am not a limited being, I am not an insignificant creature, in fact, I am the self of all, I am the very substrate of the whole universe. There is nothing to limit me, there is no second thing to limit me at all. When I discover that about me, then there is no discomfort at all, I am totally comfortable with myself. There is a total what we call self-acceptance. <coughs> so samsara means self-non-acceptance, moksha means total self-acceptance. Atmaneva atmana tushtaha, one is tushtha, totally satisfied with oneself by oneself. In spite of the limitations obtaining at the level of my personality, in spite of limitations of body, in spite of all the problems in life, they remain, and still I find myself totally acceptable to myself. Not only myself, I find everything totally acceptable as it is, because I discover that regardless of what the names and forms are, if my acceptability is based on just name and form, it will never work out. When I realize that regardless of what the names and forms or outer appearances, the truth is, is just one, everything becomes acceptable. There is a total composure. I am acceptable of myself, the world is acceptable, everything is puram, everything is whole or complete. Therefore nothing remains to be accomplished in life. <coughs> What will you do? You need not do anything. You just abide in yourself. Or you can say that, then you become an instrument in the hands of God. Because since you have no agenda, then God finds a good instrument to fulfill his agenda through you. So therefore, this person becomes a, a very wonderful instrument in the hands of God, like the instrument in the hands of a musician. How a musician takes an instrument like sitar, like violin, whatever, and plays whatever he wants to play through that. And how instrument facilitates whatever it is that the musician wants to do. And the, the instrument offers resistance and a musician will tighten it, you know, he'll, like tabla. He first takes his little hammer and keeps doing that. See, what a, what a poor tabla, you know, the drums. Every time we have this, every time before he starts, he keeps on hammering. Why? Because still that tabla is not tuned up properly. It's tuning up. The violin is not tuned up. Sitar is not tuned up. 
Similarly, yoga is for tuning up. And when tuning up has taken place, then becomes an excellent instrument, offering no resistance to whatever it is that musician wants to express through that. And similarly also, this person becomes an instrument in the hands of God, with no, of, no resistance of because of ego, ahankara, mamakara, that I-ness and my-ness is what offers resistance. And therefore, I do not allow to God to function through me properly. I keep on throwing monkey ranch in his scheme. This one doesn't do it. Therefore, loka sangrahaya karma kurvan. If he performs action, it is called loka sangraha. Loka sangraha means in service to the, to the world. Action will take place anyway because it's not, as I say, it is prakriti. It is the nature of matter always to do something. The matter, that is my body-mind complex, is material complex, is governed by laws of matter. And therefore, it is laws of matter will determine what it will do. But here, when he doesn't have an agenda of his own, then the world's agenda becomes his agenda. Whatever it does becomes a blessing to everybody. Kurvan. He does perform an action. He may not even perform an action. You have the wise people of all descriptions. Some people are like mad people, some people are like um, king, some people are like beggar, some people are in outer appearance can be anything. Somebody is extremely active, somebody is just sitting quietly doing nothing. Yogartova, Bhogartova, Sangartova, Sangavihina. Yogartaha, one may be totally reveling in yoga, in samadhi or yoga. Bhogaratova, somebody may be always in bhoga, in enjoyment or pleasures. Sangaratova, somebody may be in the company of people. Sangavihina, somebody may be without the company of the people. Doesn't matter what the description is. Krishna bhogi, shuko yogi. Krishna is bhogi, you can see him just enjoying. Shuka is yogi, is virakta, is totally, uh, totally dispassionate. Nrupau Janaka Raghavau, the King Janaka and, and King Rama, they are kings. Karmanishtha, Vasishthadhyaha, before Vasishtha and the sages, all devoted to karma. Saravaite Jnanis, Saravaite Jnanis Samaha, as far as Jnan is concerned, all of them are equal. But as far as the lifestyle is concerned, it can be quite different. <coughs> but, Normally, when an ignorant person performs action, every action becomes binding to him. Because generally action is performed as motivated by likes and dislikes. And it is said, whenever I act out of likes and dislikes, that perpetuates likes and dislikes. A reaction perpetuates reaction. So any action performed as prompted by likes and dislikes is called reaction actually. And reaction only brings about more reactions. Therefore, people are then little scared. Arjuna is scared. If I perform the action, I'll get bound by the action. What will happen to me? That's why he wants to be liberated. The reason why he wants to give up action is because the, so karmana baddhaga jantu. He said that the jantu who the human being is bound by karma. Vidya he gets liberated by knowledge. So Arjuna feels that if I engage in activities, I'll get more and more entangled. I'll get more and more bound. That's the reason why he wants to give up the activity. Lord Krishna says, no, it is not the activity that binds you. It is the motivation behind activity that binds you. 
or the motivation behind activity that releases you. Normally, as we say, the mo motivation of the people is always self-centered and therefore action appears to bind them. Here, however, this wise person has totally become free from any kind of self selfishness because nothing to achieve for himself or herself. He's not affected, he's not bound by the actions. <coughs> so the second line is the description of the sannyasi in the third level, what we call Vidvat Sannyasi. So Yoga Yuktaha, the first level of sannyasi. Vishuddhatma, Vijitatma, Jitendriya, second level of sannyasi. Sarabhutatma, Bhutatma is the third level of sannyasi. See, these two verses, Lord Krishna very beautifully and very brief tells us the whole scheme of spiritual progress. <coughs> How do you say that he does not bind, he doesn't get bound? Even when he appears to be performing all activities, how come he doesn't get bound? So next two verses, 8th and 9th, these two verses tell us what it is that is his perception while he's performing different activities that we are told here. Naiva kinchit karo meeti Naiva kinchit karo meeti Yukto manyeta tattvavita Yukto manyeta tattvavita Pashyan shrunvan sprushan jighran Pashyan shrunvan sprushan jighran Ashnan gachan swapan shvasan Ashnan gachan swapan shvasan Pralapan visrujan grunhan Pralapan visrujan grunhan Indriyartheshu Indriyani Indriyartheshu Vartanta Itidharayan Vartanta Itidharayan Naiva Kinchit Karomi Iti Iti is the in the course Naiva Kinchit First two words, naiva kinjit karomi. This is iti. That's a quote. Iti yukta hai manyeta. It's a manyava, it's a manyeta, tattvavit. So tattvavit. Tattvam vetiri tattvavit. The knower of the truth is called tattvavit. So this one, the knower of the truth, what we call vidvat sannyasi. One knows himself as the self of all. That's tattvavit. Manyeta, he should think, or he thinks, or he sees or knows. What does he know? Neva kinchit karomi, I do not do anything. He also called yukta. Yukta means a yogi, means one who is together. That's the, how the translation is, yukta. One who enjoys an abiding mind. One who enjoys a mind that is abiding in the self, that's called yukta. So tattvavit, knower of the truth, and yukta, one who abides in that knowledge. So 
it can be that I have the knowledge but some I may have some obstacles to the knowledge and therefore the knowledge may not be abiding knowledge so yukta means one who abides in that knowledge that means all the obstacles to that knowledge have been eliminated there are three forms of obstacles as we'll see in Vivek Swadhami also one is ignorance other is a doubt so there other obstacle is doubt and third obstacle is what we call viparita buddhi or what we call the false notion or the habitual error so shravana, mana, nididhyasana are meant to remove these three kinds of obstacles shravana meant to remove the obstacle which is ignorance mana removes the obstacle that is doubt, samshaya and nididhyasana removes the obstacles of the nature of habitual error and thus one who is eliminated all the obstacles to the knowledge and therefore one who enjoys what we call abidance in knowledge he is called yuktaha here yukta means one who abides the knowledge thus one who attains that spontaneity <coughs> so tattvavit the knower of truth yuktaha one who abides the knowledge of the truth manyeta this is how he thinks or this is how he knows or this is how he sees how do they see I do not do anything. This is his standpoint. Now there are two standpoints here. The first line tells us the standpoint of this wise person. I do not do anything. What is the standpoint of the bystanders? People are looking at him. What do they find? Pashyan, while seeing, Shrunvan, hearing, Prushan, touching, Jighan, smelling, Ashnan, eating, Gachan, going, Swapan, sleeping, Shwasan, breathing, Pralapan, talking, Visrujan, releasing, Gurunan, grasping, Onmishan, opening eyes, Nemishan, closing the eyes. Miss everything. You know, Lord Krishna has described many things. And if you few things are remaining, we should understand it. all the activities. In short, in these two lines, Lord Krishna means to describe all the activities taking place at the level of the organ of perception, organ of action, as well as prana, as well as mind. So through the organs of perception, we, we hear and we touch and we see and we taste and we smell. And through the organs of action also, the speech is organ of action, hands, legs, all their organs of action through which we perform actions. Breathing, at the level of mind also, we think and we remember and we feel and we react. So, when he is seen to perform all these actions, like everybody else, so we find him doing everything that we do. And when right now I am talking, if you ask me, Swami, what are you doing? I say, I am talking. If I am silent, you ask me, Swami, what are you doing? I am silent. I am listening. I am eating. I am walking. This is how I would reply. He is also walking. He is also eating. He is also talking. But we ask him, what are you doing? He said, I don't do anything. He may not say that, but this is what he knows. The idea is that when talking is taking place right now on my part, what is my perception of myself? I am a speaker. 
when I'm looking at you or whatever, then what is my perception of myself? I'm a seer, I'm a hearer, I'm a thinker. So, Prananeva Pranabhadi Vadanvak Pashyan Chakshu Bhudharanika Upanishad says, how the Atma takes up all these roles? Prananeva Pranabhadi identify with Prana. I say that I am alive, I am living. Vadanvak identifying with the organ of speech, he becomes a speaker. Pashyan Chakshu identifying with the organ of sight, he becomes a seer. Shrunan Shrotram identifying with the organ of hearing, he becomes hearer. Manvano Manaha identifying with the organ of mind, he becomes a thinker. So these are the, these are the kind of conclusions or notion that one has about oneself. So Upanishad says that all of these, all of this knowledge that I have about myself is incomplete. When I identify myself as a speaker, as a thinker, as a hearer, as a talker, as a walker, as an eater, whatever, there's only an incomplete knowledge of myself. And therefore, Upanishad says, Atmaityo Upasita. May you understand or may you know yourself as Atma? What is meant by Atma? Atmodi the Atma. One who pervades them all is called Atma. So one who pervades in and through the speaker and hearer and thinker, so the one that obtains in all of these roles, understand that when I say I am a speaker, that's a role. Just as a beggar puts on a costume, like an actor puts on a costume of beggar and says I am a beggar, he wears another costume and calls himself a king. So all the designation that the actor gets, whether he is called beggar, he is called a king, he is called a minister, he is called whatever, all of these nomenclature he gets because of, from the standpoint of the costume. Similarly, so I, the Atma, the Self, keeps on getting different nomenclature. I am a woman, I am a man, I am tall, I am short, I am a speaker, I am hearer, I am intelligent, I am smart, I am dull, I am hand, whatever. All of these are various roles based on the identification with one or the other aspect of my personality. <coughs> However, an ignorant person identifies naturally without knowing that this is an identification, therefore he calls himself a speaker, hearer, thinker. The only difference is the wise person knows that these are all roles. Thinking also is a role. So, identifying with the faculty of thought, I call myself thinker. With reference to the faculty of speech, I call myself speaker. So, that is how what we call the Atma, Anatma, Viveka. The discrimination between the self and non-self takes place. When I say I am a speaker, I am lumping together the self and non-self. That I am is definitely self. The speaker is the attribute of the organ of speech. I'm lumping them together and that arises this new notion, I am a speaker. I say I'm a hearer, I am is the Atma. Hearer, of course the function of the organ of hearing. I'm lumping them together. This is called Aviveka, non-discrimination, not being, separate, being able to separate the Atma and Atma. So that distinction is clear to this one. We call it Vidvat Sanyati. The Atma and Atma Viveka discrimination in self and non-self is clear. 
And therefore he knows the faculty of hearing is faculty of hearing. And he says that I become hearer only when I, when I look at myself through the faculty of hearing. But I am the one that is common to all these roles. <coughs> Atma ityavapasita. May one know oneself as Atma, the one that pervades like an actor, who pervades all the different roles, who is in all the roles and still different from all the roles. Similarly also Atma is in all of them. In hearer, thinker, Atma is there. At the same time, different from all of them. Is immanent as well as transcendent. Pervading all the roles, at the same time transcending the roles. So one who understands oneself this way, knows that I do not do anything. Then who performs all these actions? Indriyani, Indriyarteshu Vartante Iti Dharayan. Dharayan, knowing fully well that Indriyani, Indriyarteshu Vartante, it is the sense organs that engage in sense objects. So he would say, when speaking is taking place, what's happening? The organ of speech, which is Indriya, is only engaging itself in what we call the words, which are the Indriyartha, and that's how the, the act of speaking takes place. What is meant by act of hear? I mean, act of hearing. So how does the act of hearing take place? When the faculty of hearing interacts with the words, then the act of hearing takes place. What's the role of the self in all of these activities that are taking place? Naiva kinchit karomedi, I do not do anything. In the fourth chapter, Lord Krishna said, Karmanya karmaya pashyed, one who sees inaction in action. So when all the actions are taking place also, then one sees that Atma is ever actionless. It is in the presence of self that all activities take place. That's why in, in Kenopanishad, this disciple goes to the teacher and asks this question. What is it because of which the mind performs its activities? What is it because of which the eyes see? What is it because of which the ears hear? Then the teacher replies, Shrutrasya Shrutram Manasaha Manaha says, it is a self in presence of which the ears have the capability of hearing. The mind is the capability of thinking. The eyes are the capability of seeing. So, similarly, thus, all these faculties perform their activities in presence of the self. Now this, this is how he knows that I or the self is akarta, is non-doer, is actionless. <coughs> Indriyani, Indriyarteshu Vartante, Iridharyan, knowing fully well that it is sense organs which interact with sense objects, that is what we call action. <coughs> and his, so there are two standpoints presented here. One is the standpoint of his own self, other is the standpoint of others. From the standpoint of others, he is performing lots of activities. From his own standpoint, he is not doing anything. Therefore, in the earlier verse it was said, Kurvannapinalipyade, even though he performs his activities, Nalipyade, he does not get affected, does not get tainted, does not get bound by that. <coughs> Otherwise one does. Moment I declare myself a speaker, I am responsible for the act of speaking and the consequences also. When I declare myself as a hearer, I am responsible for the act of hearing and responsible for the consequences. He does not declare himself as a doer, therefore not responsible for the consequences also, 
Meaning the consequences of karma phala does not touch him, does not affect him. This is called freedom. So this is called freedom in action. Not necessarily freedom from action. There are two kinds of freedom. Freedom from action is not performing action. But freedom in action means performing actions and still remaining free. And that freedom is only by virtue of knowledge. Freedom from action is an effort that I don't perform an action. Freedom in action is, while performing actions, I know that I do not perform any action. That is called freedom in action. Or what you call activity and inner leisure. This one enjoys a total leisure in the midst of all the activities. So this is the really the ultimate accomplishment of a karma yogi. That when I perform action with the attitude of yoga, ultimately I gain that freedom from the very action. So Lord Krishna says to Arjuna, you get this freedom. Arjuna also is seeking freedom, doesn't want anything else. He also wants freedom from action. But he thinks that he can get freedom from action by not doing action. Lord Krishna says, no. It is not that by not doing action that you get freedom from action. It is going out of action. It is transcending action that you get freedom from action. How do you transcend actions? By knowing that you are already transcendental, meaning you are already actionless. So it's by knowing the knowledge of the actionless self that one becomes free from action and not by remaining inactive. So actionlessness and inaction are the two things. Inaction is a state of upadhi, is a state of body, when you don't do anything. That's why inaction, however mind may be busy. Whereas actionlessness, you may be doing a lot of things and still not doing. Knowing that the Atma, the Self, does not do anything. And that's the kind of sannyasa, that's the kind of retirement that Lord Krishna wants. Not the retirement of not doing something. Not the retirement of copying out as Arjuna wanted. Because that freedom is not there. The important thing for us to know is, one does not have freedom to give up the action. Normally, I do not have the freedom to give up the action because something within me prompts me to compass me to act. I can give up one action, but I cannot give action as such because it is inner restlessness which compels me to do something. When I gain the freedom to give up the action, then I can become sannyasi. So sannyasi is the one who has discovered the freedom to give up action because it has become free from that inner restlessness. Because it's discovered that inner composure. And that is how now he is in a position to devote himself to the pursuit of knowledge which requires a contemplative life. And ultimately he grows to the point where he becomes spontaneously abiding in knowledge. Of which the description is found in the last two and a half verses. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande 
भगवंतनःश्वरो गुरुरात्मे मूर्तिद विभागिने व्योमद्याप्तहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम ओ शांति 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 हरि ओ श्री गुरुभ्यो